I'm here this morning to tell you that only bad people get to go to heaven. And that's absolutely true. And it's based on this scripture from Luke 18. This is Jesus telling this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said it, only bad people get to go to heaven. The Pharisee stands and prays and he brags to God about how good he is and what he's done. The other guy beats his chest in sorrow for his sin. And Jesus said, he is the one, even though he's the wicked man, he's the one who goes home justified. And the other man does not. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name that you would come. As Jesus said, you do. Come to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Lord, I invite the spirit of the fear of the Lord into this room right now to reveal Jesus to us and to reveal to us our desperate need for a Savior. We bless your holy name, Lord. Amen. So as I'm talking this morning, I'm talking to people all over the map. There are people in the room who are not born again. You're maybe even here at church for the first time. Um, I'm talking to people who are not born again who are curious and beginning to recognize that you need a Savior. I'm talking to people who have called yourself a Christian for a year or 30 years, but you're not really walking with the Lord. You just attend church on Sunday morning, but the rest of your life is your own. And I'm also talking to some very humble people who fear the Lord and walk in real honesty. So as I speak this morning, you take from the Lord what fits you, where you're at, and you respond accordingly. And I also want to say that if, if anything I say makes you need to have a moment with God, you just do it right then. I won't be interrupted if you need to come up here and kneel at the steps or even at your own chair or whatever. If you need to get right with God, you, you do it. Don't put it off, all right? Only bad people get to go to heaven. Jesus said that the man who admits his desperate need, who is truly sorry, so disturbed by his own disobedience to God that he is beating his chest while he prays. That's the guy who goes home justified. And the other guy, who's a pretty good dude, Jesus says his sins are not forgiven. So I want to ask you this morning, how long has it been since you were so distraught over your own disobedience to God that you hit yourself? I just wonder, have you cared that deeply that you have offended God? That you have chosen on purpose to ignore Him? Have you been that sad at your own wickedness that you have hit yourself? And I don't mean in some sort of psychotic self-abuse. I mean in distress, in sorrow, in mourning, in pain at your own disobedience to God. You're not here this morning to learn how to be a better person. You are here to hear the gospel 
and to admit how wicked you are and how much you need Jesus. Some of you might think, well, Mitch, I already did that. I admitted my deed to Jesus 10 years ago. Well, James 4, 9 and 10 on the screen says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That is not written to non-Christians. The book of James is written to believers. The context is Christians who already know the goodness of God, who've already confessed that we need a Savior and been baptized. He says, you need to be grieving your own sin. You need to be wailing for how disobedient you are. If you humble yourself, notice both James and Jesus equate humility with crying over your own sin. And somebody is thinking, well, Mitch, Jesus died to take away my shame and my wailing and my grieving and my mourning. And we sing that all the time. It's in the Bible somewhere. I know it. Well, we live in a shameless world. We are in the death of shame where anybody can do anything publicly without blushing at all. And we have a church full of people who come in and sing of the goodness of God without blushing. And you ought to. Sometimes, because of how you behave this week. Romans 6, 20 and 21 says, When you were slaves to sin, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. The people who don't know Jesus, who don't have the Holy Spirit, aren't convicted of their sin. They're not ashamed of anything. So we sing all the time that he died to take away our shame, but actually when you come to Jesus is when shame begins. That's when my eyes are open and I'm turned on to how desperately evil I actually am. Now, after you've been baptized, after you've come to Jesus, is when you begin to be ashamed of how you used to live. When you were living that way, you weren't ashamed of it. It was just life. Party on. It's amazing to me how people can engage in such great sin and then come on a Sunday morning and with, with no fear of God. I'm not talking about being ashamed or feeling guilty about your value or God's love for you, but just what you've said or done. I'm not talking about who we are, our identity, but what we've done. When James says, grieve, mourn, and wail, it isn't, oh, I'm such a miserable loser. It's specifically about the deeds that you've done or the words you've spoken or the judgments you've harbored or the fear that you have listened to or the anger you have expressed or the hurt feelings that you have petted, the forgiveness that you faked, the faithless words that you speak, the selfishness that you've reinforced. And the self-pity that you've pouted, the disobedience you purposefully chose. We have desperately wicked hearts, folks. I have a godless mind, and I need Jesus. In Matthew 18, 21 to 35, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, 
How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. I will explain what that is later. Ten thousand talents of gold. We'll come back to that. Hold that in your memory. The servant owed his king ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And a hundred denarii, hang on to that in your memory, I'll explain how much that value is also. A hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not. And he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from his own heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So Jesus is talking about our forgiveness of each other. That because God forgave us so great a debt, we must forgive anyone who wrongs us. But my sermon this morning is not about forgiveness. My sermon is about your own sin between you and God. And Jesus here in this parable told us how much it is. He said a servant comes and he owes his king 10,000 talents. A talent is not a monetary amount. It is a weight. It weighs 60 pounds. We'll round it. It's like 59 point something. A talent is 60 pounds of gold. 10,000 talents. Jesus picks this crazy number. Obviously, in the parable, the king is God and the servant is me. Hello? And Jesus doesn't use a dollar amount. He uses a weight. You owe God 10,000 talents is your sin debt. 600,000 pounds of gold. Jesus bore the weight of the sin of the world. That's 300 tons. My sin alone on Jesus' back on the cross. Just me. Times billions. Our debt to God is amazing. But a certain amount of gold, no matter what it weighs, um, does have value. And talents could be either silver or gold, but a common laborer in Bible times would work nine years for one talent of silver. You owe God ten thousand talents 
you, to repay your sin, would have to work 90,000 years. This is real numbers that Jesus' audience would have known. Jesus is picking these numbers on purpose. This is not hyperbole or accident. He doesn't say, your sin is endless and infinite. No, he puts a value on it. This is how much it is. You owe God 90,000 years of hard labor. And God says in the parable, take his wife and kids and put them all into slave labor until it's all paid back. It's impossible. We only have 6,000 years of human history in the entire history of the world. You'd have to live 15 world histories. Working every day nonstop. 10,000 talents also has a dollar value because gold has a dollar value. As of Friday, it was 1,800 and something dollars. So 10,000 talents is 8.7 million ounces of gold times $1,800 an ounce times 14 ounces in a gold pound. You owe God $16 billion. $16 billion. By comparison, Jesus says, this servant says, God, give me time and I'll pay it all back. Well, how stupid is that? Maybe if you work 90,000 years, you could earn $16 billion. But he had compassion on him, and he erased the debt. But then he went out, and he grabbed his fellow servant by the throat and said, You owe me 100 denarius. Well, a denarius was a day's wage gold coin. So 100 denarii is about $20,000. If somebody owed me $20,000, I would want them to pay that back. I mean, that's real money. But compared to $16 billion, come on. That's Jesus' point. Compared to $16 billion, it's nothing. It is a drop in the ocean. So this is, this is the fellow servant that this guy, he just got forgiven of a $16 billion debt and he can't forgive $20,000. What is the worst sin that's been done against you? The hardest thing that you have tried to forgive. Jesus says it's a real debt. Somebody really owes you real money, but it's nothing compared to what you owe God. That offends me. Because I don't think I've been as bad as other people have been bad to me. But I have. I owe God an unpayable debt. So when Jesus says the man who's confessing, begging for forgiveness is beating his breast, if you knew you had to come up with $16 billion or you're going to go to hell... You might get emotional about that. So have you been? Have you wept that hard? Have you been that thankful? Have you been that repentant? I know you've confessed some sin, but I'll bet you haven't confessed $16 billion worth of sin. That's just a guess. Muhammad wrote in his book to his followers that on Judgment Day, 
that your good deeds would be on one side of the scale and your sins would be on the other side of the scale and you just needed to make sure that the good deeds outweigh the bad. There's nothing you can do to make up 90,000 years of hard labor. 300 tons of sin. You can't, you can't balance that out. Jesus said, you confess your sins, just admit that you owe me that. Admit it, that it's that bad, and I'll erase it. Just care, that's all he asks. Just admit and ask forgiveness, and I'll give it to you. And so, many of you would say, yeah, okay, yeah, Mitch, yes, I've done that. Jesus died for me, and, and he paid all that. Well, yes, he did die, but how do we know he died for you? I'll tell you how we can know. It's based on how you respond. I'll use my daughter Harvest here as an example. If, if Harvest is in the street playing, playing basketball, and a car is coming, and Sam here rushes and shoves her out of the way, but he gets hit by the car and killed. Sarah and I are not going to come to Devin and say, thank you so much that your husband sacrificed his life to save our daughter. We're really thankful about that. No, we would have some feelings. We would have a response. How, why did our daughter live and, and he gave his life for our kid? For the rest of our lives, we would be not kissing up to Devin, but trying to take care of her and her kids and do everything we possibly could to show her gratitude for what her husband heroically did. And you come to church and, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Come on, you just said someone died for you. You don't say that casually. I was walking down the sidewalk earlier this week praying as I'm on my way somewhere and I just said that. I was like, thank you Jesus for dying for me. And it was like I ran into a brick wall like, how disgusting of a thing to say. But so mindlessly and thoughtfully, how gross is it that I have to say somebody died for me? I will sing of the goodness of God. Someone died for us to pay our $16 billion debt. Hear it again for the first time, folks. It should shock you. It should repulse you. It should make you fall on your face in gratitude and beat your breast. If you actually believed that he died for you, you would live so differently. Your sin is so wicked, your deeds are so evil, that it took the blood of God to make a fair trade for your soul. That also tells you how valuable you are and how much he loves you. But it also tells you how wicked you are. But it also tells you how much he loves you. And it also tells you how valuable you are. 
that God will happily pay $16 billion for you. The blood of God was given for you. That should make you a little more repentant, a little more happy, a little more worshipful, a little more thankful, maybe a lot more. Maybe you should fear the Lord of glory who purchased you with his own blood and not live however you want. Because the same Jesus who said he'd forgive you seven times a day if you honestly repent is also the man who said, cut out your own eyeball so that you don't go to hell. It's that serious, folks. Romans 2, 3 to 5 says, Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? This is written to Christians. Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we are saved by faith, folks. We say that, and it's a cliche. It's so commonly well known that we are saved by faith. But faith is believing what you can't see. And in every other area of your life, your faith is a real battle to believe God. But then you just assume you're going to heaven. No faith battle involved. Yeah, God loves me. He and I are cool. We're saved by faith, not assumption. Hello? If you were really aware of the debt you owed God, it would, be, it would take faith to save you. Mostly you're just tripping along through life on presumption. But Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. I, I'm not aiming this at anyone specifically. You need to search your heart and let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Do you actually have saving faith? Have you honestly repented of your sin or are you just going to church and trying to be a good person? Or are you beating your breast in sorrow for disobeying God? Well, Mitch, come on. I mean, I know I make mistakes, and I admit that I've intentionally sinned a few times, but come on. If I don't intend it, if it isn't on purpose, then it's a mistake. It isn't a sin. It's wrong. Jesus wouldn't have had to pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing if we aren't accountable for what we don't know. God knows that the majority of the sins we commit, we're unaware of. And Jesus is so willing to forgive us that he prayed that while he hung on nails. He is instantly willing to forgive. But if you're, if you're disobeying God, if you're hurting him, if you're hurting yourself, if you're hurting your family, don't you want to know? So that you can fix it? 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the last scripture is from Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord and he will send again, send you Jesus. Amen. When the servant begged the master, please give me time, I will pay you back. The master knows that will never happen. There isn't anything to do but forgive this poor guy. So he had compassion on him and did. Erased the debt. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My chains are gone. My debt is paid. Just ask him. God, this is ugly stuff. Please erase my debt. And he'll say, you know what? Jesus paid that. Go home justified. Amen. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you want to come up to the stairs, you do that. If you just need to sit there and cry, you go right ahead. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for paying for my debt. Thank you. Lord, in 90,000 years, I could not work off what I owe you. Thank you. Thank you for your blood that paid all the debt. Thank you, Father, that you are a king who has compassion, who is willing to erase a 10,000-talent debt it's unimaginable. It's unthinkable. Thank you that you are so eager and willing to forgive if we will just confess. Lord, you say it so easily. If you confess your sins, I am faithful and just and I will forgive you. It's amazing that you don't need time to think about it. <laughs> that you don't have any reaction to our rebellion you just are willing to forgive if we will just admit it if we will just truly beat our chest in sorrow for having caused you pain for having offended you for trespassing your word Lord we treat you so casually and we treat each other with such judgment and hurt feelings and anger and pride we choose fear rather than obeying you what an insult Lord to be afraid when you have proven yourself over and over how faithful you are what a wickedness to not forgive each other instantly when you have forgiven us Lord, I thank you for letting us feel and see the weight of our sin again afresh. For seeing the goriness 
the shocking truth of the gospel that you died for us. May we never, ever, ever take that casually. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for paying our debt. Lord, for those here who have not yet seen their own sin and have not confessed that they need a Savior, I pray that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears, that you would reveal yourself in your holiness and in your beauty and in your value. We who are not yet saved, Lord, would see our own desperate filth and need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. For those who have confessed sin and asked you to be Savior and Lord and been baptized into Christ, Lord, who haven't been living it, who haven't been really serious, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would come and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Come, Lord, in the spirit of the fear of the Lord, that we would not casually watch a movie or listen to a song or complain about the boss or harbor judgments in our mind about our spouse or our parents, but that we would humble ourselves before the Lord, grieve and mourn and wail over our own wickedness. Lord, there are some here who have confessed much, who have searched their hearts, who have let you do a purifying work of fire. Lord, the more we, the more we see, the more we see. The more you open our eyes, the more there is to repent of. Come as you are, people. Come as you are. Come to Jesus right now. Whatever he's showing to you, bring it to him right now. Confess it. Repent it. Give it to him and let him wash it away in your blood. Thank you. Thank you for your great salvation. Indescribable mercy and grace of God. We bless your holy name. Amen.